everybody. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Shawnee. And I'm Christina. Welcome back to the Unladylike podcast. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Megan Crozier at The Pursuing Life. We're so excited to have Megan on, and today we're going to discuss deconstruction of Christianity and what that looks like for her and everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, we kind of talked through her process of deconstruction, what that means, um, and kind of like the traumas that we've all faced in the Christian church. Um, I found Megan on Twitter maybe like a year ago through Sarah Mm -hmm. Schwartz, who we also have an episode with, and I messaged her and she wanted to come on. So without further ado, let's bring out Megan. Okay, welcome everybody. Welcome Megan. Megan Crozier. Megan Crozier is with us. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the Unladylike podcast. Um, Yeah, thanks thanks for for having me. Yeah, we're so excited that you're here again, back and better than ever. Um, I think it would be nice if we um, kind of talk about your Twitter platform, because that's how I found you on Twitter, which, first of all, thanks for following me back. Um, (laughs) I feel like a famous person follows me. So thanks for that. And then thanks for replying to my message to come on the podcast. So And for recording with us a second time, because we messed up. And we lost the recording when we recorded a couple days ago. Yeah, you know what? It happens. It totally happens. (laughs) Um, Twitter, man. Yeah. So a while back, I started a blog because I was just kind of trying to figure out, sort through some questions that I had, some thoughts that I had about um, just my faith and my beliefs and what I had believed my whole life that was kind of evolving. And at the same time, I... I started Instagram for the first time and Twitter for the first time and just started interacting um, and realizing that I had a voice there that I, I didn't see before. And so as I started kind of speaking out about some things, um, interacting with people that sometimes I lined up with, sometimes I didn't, but I think um, what I do there is um, try to have a lot of dialogue with people that have the same curiosity that I've had. And I, I, I'm pretty intentional about knowing when to engage and knowing when it's just um, not going to be fruitful for anyone. So um, yeah, that's, that's where I'm at with Twitter. That's cool. so awesome. And it's nice to hear because I used to have a Twitter. I went off of it just because I felt like it was... I don't know, toxic for me personally. And then it's nice to hear that like there's like Twitter communities out there that are so like positive and it's just like a positive space for people to go and connect. Yeah, it's been good. And there's been some people that I've gone in um, smaller group DMs, other places where we can have more elaborate drawn out conversations in a more Mm -hmm. private way um, because not everything is, not everything needs to be public for everyone. Um, and I think there's a difference to how people interact when it's private, um, and just really being authentic versus trying to make yourself sound smart maybe is what Mm -hmm. happens. I think so. Yeah. So can you, my cat just, (laughs) can you tell us a little bit more about, um, your background, maybe where you went to school and how you got started with your blog and kind of the reason that it all came to be? Yeah. So, um, I grew up in the evangelical, evangelical free denomination. Um, but it was basically a community church, I guess. Um, 
and we were largely modeled after Willow Creek. We, we were in the Midwest and we were very close with, um, the, that church and we had visited. And then I went to North park university, which, um, you don't, some Christian schools, you have to have a statement of faith to, to go in, go there, um, to attend North park is not that way. Oh, wow. Um, so it is, um, in, it, it is affiliated with the evangelical covenant denomination, but you aren't required to be, um, covenant or a certain faith to attend. Um, but, uh, so yeah, it was probably back when I was going to North park that I started to question some of those things. I went to a protest on the, we went to war with Iraq and I went to mm -hmm. a war protest and I started to think like, man, I don't always think the same that I have my whole life, but it wasn't until very recently that I started going through what I would say full-blown faith deconstruction. Yeah. Did you always want to go to a Christian college growing up? Like, was it just something that you knew you were going to do to go to that college or? You know, it, it fit me. Um, mm -hmm. I was student leader in my youth group. I did all the things I was very involved in church and it was a natural extension for me. I did look at larger state schools and things like that. Um, I thought I would get lost. I liked the size of North yeah. Park. Honestly, I loved the flyers. They were beautiful. The marketing, <laughs> the marketing works. The man. private school marketing is yeah. all set. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, it was, it was a good place for where I was at at the time. Mm -hmm. That's cool. That's how I feel about Biola. Like I originally went to a UC, um, UC Santa Barbara. So it was a really big school and I was used to like smaller environments. And so that was part of like the appeal to Biola. But then at the same time, I started feeling like what you experienced where it's like my ideas aren't like lining up with everybody's ideas. And it kind of makes, I mean, for me, it made me feel a little alienated because it was like, man, is something wrong with me <laughs> that like I'm in here and everybody agrees and I'm just like struggling with that. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned deconstruction. Um, can you give us like maybe a, a, your definition? I know that people define it in different ways and kind of tell us more about what that means and the process of deconstruction. Yeah. So I always say that um, most people in the deconstruction community hate the word deconstruction. <laughs> um, and I think part of that is there's not a lot of nuance to the mm -hmm. word. And so everybody does define it differently and everybody's journey looks so different. People have different reasons that they're in deconstruction. People have different places that they land on the other side. Most people never land. It's just kind of an evolving mm -hmm. process. And so I would say for me, my definition would be it, it's the process of really questioning or evolving the beliefs you've held your whole life, your inherited beliefs and, and wondering what you truly line up with and allowing yourself permission to disagree and, and evolve your thinking in mm -hmm. some areas. Um, so I think for me, that's what it's been. And for me, when I started, when I started calling it deconstruction, saying that I was deconstructing, I was very nervous, like, Oh, am I going to unravel? Am I going to lose my faith? Um, I identify as progressive Christian. I hold that pretty loosely. Um, I, sometimes I say I'm an agnostic Christian just because I feel like there's no way of knowing there's mm -hmm. there, I've let go of certainty and I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, I would say, um, some people jump in and, and are very clear that they want to, you know, quote unquote, reconstruct something. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, you know, I'm just, it's a process of learning for me. And I've been reading a lot and studying a lot and having a lot of great conversations like this. And so, yeah, it's that it's been a whole journey and, and I think it will be going on for likely the, my whole life or I'm yeah. just constantly learning, growing, evolving. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this was like our first time we, we talked about this before listeners, but this is our first time that we've heard about deconstruction really like from your tweets and everything. Christina shared them with me and like reading your blog. And the more we've been talking about it, like our conversations, it's been popping up on my TikTok. So I feel like my TikTok's been listening to me, but so I've been seeing videos and stuff, but yeah, it's like the, I, I get what you mean about like the term is like not favorable because it just sounds like, what is it? Like, I don't know, deconstruction, especially because the church uses like reconstruction a lot. It sounds like, I don't know, it it's goes like against it, like one side versus the other, but it's nice to, I don't know, have these conversations, like you said, and like learn more about it. I feel like already more comfortable with it from just talking with you and everything. Yeah. yeah and I would say there's a lot of people that are publishing articles and giving mm-hmm. opinions and pastors that are preaching about it. And, um, yeah, I, I have a lot of different thoughts about what's being put out there, but I will say that I see a lot of people writing and talking about deconstruction that aren't going through that process themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it, it sometimes can be hurtful to see yeah. what's being said. Um, I, there's people that say we're deconstructing because we want to sin. Mm-hmm. We want street cred. We want, you know, we've been hurt, but we should be repairing that hurt inside the church. And I think there's just a, a giant lack of understanding of some of the trauma that yeah. people have faced in the communities that I, in, with the people that I share space with. Um, there's been a lot of hurt that is not going to be repaired in the church. Um, yeah. I see both sides of it. So was there like a certain moment for you when you realized, I don't know when the process started or a certain event that happened? Um, I know I shared this with you before, but, um, for me, it was the 2016 election when, um, Donald Trump got elected. And I remember I posted something like, oh, this is like a bad reality TV show because I didn't vote in the election. And I don't know, I was the white female. So I was like, this doesn't affect me. Like I was very ignorant. Mm -hmm. And, um, someone from like this mega church I went to, they were like, asking me who I voted for. And then the refugee crisis was happening. So another girl was like, we can't let terrorists into our nation. And that the Bible says to protect your own family before you protect someone else's family. And I was just in my head, like, but God sent his son to die for strangers. Like God gave up his family. So why wouldn't we quote, like give up our like that, that makes no sense. And so that was kind of the breaking point for me, but did you have a breaking point like that or a moment, something that maybe didn't sit right with you that started your deconstruction process? Yeah, I would say the election probably was a catalyst to this process. I, I started to learn what people's deal breakers were. I started to see people that would be offended by the language that I used, but yet accept that same language from the person they voted for, you mm-hmm. know? And so, yeah, which is I, crazy. Yeah. I never and understood that. A lot of hypocrisy and, and just digging into like, you know, really 
me saying things that were LGBTQ affirming or things like that, and then having people speak out about that, but then support someone that was so, you know, mocking people with disabilities and, Mm -hmm. and racist and misogynistic. And so, yeah, for sure. I started to see what people's deal breakers were, but I really think that the whole process of unraveling altogether. Um, and when I say that, I just mean the kind of the wake up of, wow, I really am deconstructing. Mm -hmm. It had a lot to do with digging into what it meant to be non-affirming towards the queer community and what it means to be affirming, because I am, I don't identify as queer And so I had sat comfortably in those spaces for many, many years without really paying attention to the level of exclusion that was having happening. Yeah. And when I saw a sermon series preached where it was really outlined, like, Hey, we're going to love the LGBTQ community, but we're going to expect that they're either living a lifetime of celibacy or forcing themselves into a heterosexual marriage. I was like, no way. I mean, it just felt like it was purity culture to the next level. Extreme. Yeah. And, and, and when you really start digging in, um, I mean this, and I say this on Twitter, this is killing people. And it really, really is because the church can quote unquote, love all they want. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, there are people sitting in those pews that hate their hate themselves, no matter how hard the church loves them, they hate themselves because they feel like they're inherently wrong. Mm -hmm. And there are people that are, and I'll give a content warning about suicide, but there are people that are killing themselves over Mm -hmm. this because it really, it really is. And I've seen people with depression and anxiety, but I I mean, and it's just to see the level that the church goes to, to say, this is our deal breaker. And this is what, where we stand. And we're going to outline, this is what is required of you to live your full godly self, quote unquote, godly self. I just couldn't do it. I was like, yeah. I would rather walk away from my faith altogether than go on having this mentality. Exactly. Like, and I think it's hard, at least for me, it was hard to like realize how, how much like you, it was hurting people. Um, only because like I grew up and I only really knew like one person in, in my life that was gay and Christian growing up. And um, I was like, always think I I always thought people were just mean to her like because she was different and I'm like I think that you can be gay and Christian but then I didn't realize until I actually went to Biola um one of our professors who taught Old Testament Christina the one with the beard he he was like yeah like gay people can be uh Christian like and God's accepting of that and I was like oh that's great that they think that you know because I've always thought that in my church never really like seemed to support that And then the more he talked, like throughout the semester, I realized what he meant was that, like you said, they can either be celibate or they can know that they're gay, but live in a a heterosexual marriage. And he was like, yeah, I have my friend. He's he claims that he's gay and he does not sleep with anybody. He doesn't have a relationship with anybody. And his relationships come from like friendship, love and family love and church love. And I'm like. What? Like, that's yeah. the craziest thing I've ever heard. And then he was like, yeah, my best friend is married to uh, his wife and they have three beautiful children and he's gay. And I was like, I could not like, that's just so crazy to me. It's and I don't know. Crazy to be. I didn't realize that that's like what people meant when they're like, yeah, <laughs> come on, you can be gay in the church. Like, it's just crazy. Yeah. And I see and I. 
so when I first started reading about this, I read Matthew Vine's book, God and the Gay Christian, and mm-hmm. he's still pretty evangelical. He's he has his sexual ethic is abstinence till marriage. Um, but he had if you're looking for something to pick apart the six places in the Bible that talk about um, homosexuality, that mm-hmm. is a great resource because he talks about the different interpretations and translations and things like that. And so that was helpful for me. Yeah. But I will say my sexual ethic has evolved even beyond that. Really? And what I see out there is I see people saying to the queer community, you know, sex isn't a human right. That's what they'll say. Like, don't, (laughs) don't, if you think that it's your right to have sex, then that you're holding that as an idol. But in the next breath, um, they'll be meeting with women in small groups saying, you know, even if you're not in the mood, you should, Mm -hmm. you know have sex with your husband because it'll keep him happy and things like that, which yeah. it, it, that says so much about, um, people's prescribed gender roles as it mm-hmm. is, but yet just the idea that your body's not yours and that you should be doing things that you don't want to do with your body. And that that's being preached just because church. you're married. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts that's about such that. That's a which, good point. Yeah. So that's a lot. I feel like also I mean, none of it sits right with me, but then I'm like, wow, I just kind of have to sit in it. And I'm sure that's what the process of deconstruction is kind of sitting with it and processing it. And then I almost feel like, wow, well now I feel like I have to explain myself to other people. Um, do you feel like that sometimes? Like, I don't know, maybe past people from your life. Like my mom is always asking me, oh, are you going to church? Are you going to church? And I'm like, no, because every church I go to doesn't have the same ethical values as me. And I feel like I have to explain that. Yeah. I think one thing that I've started to become more comfortable with, um, is just knowing that I don't owe anybody else a label. Mm -hmm. And I've been in a lot of conversations about labels just because people get frustrated with me because they want to fight theology and they want to, you know, talk about how progressive Christianity isn't real Christianity. And I'm like, I don't really care what, like what I label myself as. I just know kind of who I am and what I think and what I believe. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I don't even sometimes know that. So I'm not even, it's not even worth debating. And yeah. They get frustrated because they want to point out like, maybe you're not a real Christian. Um, and I'm like, maybe, maybe I'm not, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and I don't care. So, um, yeah, that, but I will say too, um, it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a whole process where I, as I stumble into things, I start to, you know, engage with curiosity. And if we're talking about sexual ethics, I have friends that are in open marriages. I have, you know, and I, I tweeted out that a local church here is, um, has a pastor that's female and she's mm-hmm. pregnant and not married. And a lot of people were so uncomfortable with that. And it was so interesting to unpack why and why the, I mean, there was a lot of hate about like, I, you know, telling me, you know, you're a heretic and all of these things. And I'm like, Oh, Hey, I I actually love that. They're celebrating this woman. And, and, um, some people were like doing the mental gymnastics of, well, maybe she had IVF. And so then it's okay. And I'm like, no, it's actually (laughs) like, I know, I was like, I know she like her boyfriend's a bartender and and they (laughs) actually had sex. That's what happened. (laughs) And so, but I, I've learned so much and I, I mean, I, I said, I have friends in open marriages and it's so interesting to see how monogamous folks don't ever have deeper conversations about boundaries and communication the Mm -hmm. way that non-monogamous folks do. And so 
I've been able, my own marriage has been enhanced by mm-hmm. having friends that have very intentional conversations with their spouses and, and dating partners and mm-hmm. everything else. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've feel like I've been so enriched by that and having atheist friends and agnostic friends. And so being able to say, Hey, you know, your journey might look different than mine, but mm-hmm. holding space for that. It's been amazing. Yeah. I know because like, just like what you were saying about how they try to like argue with you and be like, well, you're not a real Christian going back to like what we were talking about, like with Trump, like I remember when I think he just became president or something. And remember it came out that like, he said in an interview that he never like prays for forgiveness of his sins or something like that. And then somebody was telling me like in class, like he's such a good Christian leader for our country. And I was like, he literally said he doesn't pray for forgiveness of his sins. Like, but then all of the pastors like are like, he's such a Christian leader. And she was like, well, I don't think that, you know, he really meant it that way. I don't think that he oh my blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, but it's just so funny that they get to like reason away things like that or reason away certain things. But then if people who are more progressive are trying to like think through things themselves, then they put the label like, oh, you're not a real Christian. Where something like that, they just claim he's a real Christian. Like, I think it's so funny how things move around like that for them. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And I would say too, um, I mean, if you dig into his campaign, Mm -hmm. a lot of people, their deal deal breaker was being, they were pro-life and they they thought that he, you know, he would, he would be the pro-life president. And if you dig into his campaign, he didn't start out pro-life. He just, right. his cam- they, they just approached him and they were like, we feel like it would be this. beneficial <laughs> to you to be pro-life. And so he was like, okay, what, like what I'll do that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like people that really believe in truly, you know, really believe that. And, you know, there were some cre- Supreme court justices that he was, he appointed, but I mean, at the end of the day, it was like, I, I had the same thing. Like, how are you celebrating somebody that's so many things, but not mm-hmm. a great leader? Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. I think you were saying, Christina, that um, you saw like a video of somebody of like one of the pastors at a church you went to or something where they were crying because Biden wasn't pro-life or something. Yeah, the well, the church itself, it's Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, oh, and okay. they hand out flyers that will say like, Democrat, Republican, and then it will go through all the views and have Bible verses as to why the Republican right or not, right? <laughs> and like that again was a red flag for me because Jesus didn't make these parties. Like these parties weren't invented by him. Like both of them. So yeah. why is one biblical and one not? Like that just blows my mind. But also he had this video and it was just so disturbing. It was him sobbing in front of thousands of people. The church is huge. Uh, Probably at least a thousand people. Mm -hmm. He's sobbing and he's like, one candidate is pro-life. One is not. One is for Israel. One isn't. And it just, it's disgusting. Like my stomach churns. Like, how are you crying? Like he lost. Like I, you're a white man. Like this isn't going to affect you, dude. Like, (laughs) And I swear the only reason that he's crying is because he wants Donald Trump to notice him because Donald Trump, who's the guy that does the harvest crusade. He like noticed him and like tweeted at him. And so this pastor wants the same recognition. Oh, I swear. That's why, but he was literally crying. I'm like, (laughs) buddy. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's wild. And I think um, I think I said this before, but I have had people say, you know, oh, we don't worship the elephant or the donkey. We worship the Mm -hmm. lion and the lamb. And (laughs) and actually, it's funny because they've used that as a way to not pay attention to who they're voting for. They're just kind of like, oh, we you know, we worship the lion and the lamb. And I'm like, yeah, but like, how do you feel about this? And they're like, well, I don't really read the news, but (laughs) I'm like, well, maybe, you know, let's think about who we're voting for. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. be an informed voter. So. Yeah. Yeah. I went to a church a couple of weeks ago to test it out and it was a guest pastor, like filling in for the head pastor. And he was like, it doesn't matter if you voted for Trump or Biden, focus on Jesus. And I'm just like, ew, like, I, I don't know why it just doesn't sit right with me. And I think that that's the process of deconstruction for me is thinking like, why doesn't it sit right with me? what do I want in a church? Would you say that that's kind of like the process that I should go through? Yeah, I would say um, any feelings are data, right? That's what my therapist would always say. And so anytime that you have that kind of discomfort or cringiness about something, then it's going to be data that tells you, okay, like something's happening here that makes me uncomfortable or that makes me wonder or say, huh. And um, I have a good friend, Teal, that would say, invite those feelings in for a cup of tea and sit with them and say, you know, what are you feelings <laughs> and explore what they are because it really does, um, get you started on how do I really, how do I really feel about this? And for me, I had to read and dig. I actually read a book called Republican like me about an NPR, a former NPR CEO or executive that, um, was very fiercely liberal and Democrat and wanted to understand what had happened in the 2016 election yeah, and, and went to all of these different places in the United States to engage with Republicans to kind of understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they went, they went to an Urbana conference, um, which I don't, if you're familiar, it's through yeah. university. Yeah. Um, I went to an Urbana conference 20 years <laughs> oh, ago really? when I was in college. Um, and so they talked about, you know, religious reasons and income reasons and like economical reasons and things like that. And, and it did help me understand, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I was like, okay, now I have a deep understanding, but I still realize that my deal breakers are way different. And so I, that's, I mean, really what it comes down to is what are your deal breakers Mm -hmm. and what, how, to what extent are those your deal breakers? Because for me being affirming means that I don't want to read authors that are not affirming. Yeah. And I don't want to engage with, um, churches at all that are not affirming because I know the, I know how severe that is. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and I have, you know, different topics that I've explored probably, um, just that affirming stance has been something I've explored in more depth than other things. Um, some people start with other things. Some people are like, I don't know how I feel about hell. I'm going to read a lot about that, you know? And so, it just really, everybody's journey looks different. So it's just whatever. Yeah. Dig into that. Listen to those feelings. Yeah. I think that's so nice because I feel like the church even tries to like, again, reason away with listening to your feelings, but I, it never made sense to me because it was like, God obviously gave us these feelings for a reason. If you think of it that way. And it's like, I'm, my feelings aren't just here 
to be here and I have to ignore them, but they'll say things like, yeah, certain things in the Bible make you uncomfortable. Like you just have to sit in that. Or like, they'll say things like that, like basically get over it, accept it. This is how God is, you know, like, but I feel like if more people did listen to how they felt like that could even be like the Holy spirit, if they want to say that, like letting, you know, Hey, this isn't right. You know? (laughs) And just like, kind of yeah. And you're taught to deny yourself, right? That's what you're taught. And so I think it's a flip to Mm -hmm. think, oh, actually like listen to yourself and follow what yourself is thinking and feeling. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Cause they definitely tried to make it seem like you shouldn't, that it's bad to do that, but then you're not like, like, it's one of those things that I wish wasn't in the Bible, but mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly how complementarianism was explained to me. So exactly. I, I mean, it's like, or it's your interpretation of the Bible and you're a, you know, white mm-hmm. cis man preaching about this and it's so convenient for you. Yeah. So let's yeah. talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it fits your feelings. You're fine with it. Right. But for us, <laughs> I remember yeah. like I grew up in a Christian school and I think I mentioned that before, but um, we had like this Bible teacher and it, it was like, so like whatever she was reading must've been very against in my opinion like against like women and i was like young at that time but i was in middle school and i remember like at one time i got so upset like she was saying something about how women have to be submissive and all this stuff and which is a like it was a bible class like i feel like you don't have to go into that but she was saying that and i remember i like covered my ears in class because i was getting so angry i was like in sixth grade and i was like i can't hear this and that was like so hard for me like as a kid because i was like why is everybody fine with this but i'm upset you know and yeah it made me feel like i was wrong for just not getting over it yeah and i think that what you find is that mm-hmm. The folks that are being excluded and the folks that are marginalized in the church are the ones that have to be the the, often the ones that are fighting for their own identities to be seen. Right. And so that's why I think it's important that more everybody talks about this. That's why, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, people sometimes will say like, I've had somebody say like, you must be gay. And that's why (laughs) you're you're so emotionally connected to this topic. And I'm like, no, I, I love people mm-hmm. and I am emotionally connected to what's happening to humans. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's important to recognize and see what's happening and, and really, really see people. Um, mm-hmm. e- and even if you're in spaces where you're fine and you're, yeah. you know, and you're accepted and included, um, based on whatever identity you have. And so I think it's, it's been, it's, yeah, it's opening your eyes to what's happening. Definitely. Um, so when starting the deconstruction process, how would you say, or what would you say is kind of the goal or what is like the outcome? And I'm sure it's different for everybody, but when you went into this, I feel like also, let me, let me segue. So I also feel like when thinking about this process of deconstruction, people that are so like not brainwashed, but like indoctrinated by the church might immediately be like, I can never do this. If I leave, I'm not a real Christian. So how do you overcome that? And when you went into this, were you feeling like that? Or what was like your intention? Yeah. So 
for me, everybody's journey looks different. And I, I would say you might have a goal. You might not. Um, likely you'll have a goal and, and it'll change. Um, yeah. I know when I, I started going to progressive church and in a local progressive church and I sat down with a pastor and I was like, I, you know, I'm deconstructing. And his response was, take care of yourself, like have a lot of grace for yourself and a lot of self-care. And I was like, what is he talking about? And then I got a little bit further in the journey and I realized how much grief there Mm -hmm. is in losing what you've believed your whole life and what has brought you comfort at a lot of times through difficult times in your life. And I, you know, I worship music that I used to listen to that I find toxic now for a Mm -hmm. lot of reasons. And, um, I can get into that if you want, but overall, um, you know, for me, I started reading and I just wanted to understand. And I wanted to know a lot. I read Jesus and John Wayne. I read God and the gay Christian. I read, um, so many different books. And then I had to stop reading for a while and just pick up fiction for a while. Cause it was too much. Yeah. I, I started buying everything, you know, I was like, I was reading Nadia Boltz Weber and of course, Rachel Held Evans, I'd always read. And so I think, you know, you can only do so much at a time. Mm-hmm. It was for me, it was during the pandemic. I was writing a lot. I was blogging. Um, and, and you can even see, if you look at my blog, I shift, I, you know, I, I have some blog posts that I don't even have public anymore that I I'm writing about prophecy. And then I kind of move into Holy spirit things. And then it starts to be like, wait a second. <laughs> and, and I start to shift. Like I, you know, all of a sudden, certain things I start, as I learn, I start to feel like there are certain things that are harmful that have been part of the faith system that I held. Yeah. And so what I'm, I guess my goal now is to figure out what I believe and know and figure out and understand or be sure that my beliefs aren't harming others. Yeah. I feel like, um, do you agree that like most people who go into like deconstruction, like don't even know that they're doing it until like they're deeper into it and like start looking into things more? Like, I feel like it might be something that like starts just as like a feeling like what we were saying, and then it just can snowballs from there. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I, I started a Facebook group very early before I was really deconstructing and uh-huh. it was called the, the pursuing life. That's, you know, my handle everywhere, mm-hmm. but it was just called the pursuing life to talk about the hard things. And and now I've had some difficult conversations with some of the people in that Facebook group. Cause, um, initially when I began, I was still reading my Bible every yeah. single morning for an hour and talking about what God was doing in my life. And then one day I remember, you know, going to therapy and my therapist, I was like, I, th- I keep reading this and it every morning it's becoming more and more toxic for me. And she was like, why are you, why are you still reading it? And she's like, you can, that's fine. But if it's not nourishing you mm-hmm. put it away for a while. And I'm not saying that I've thrown it in the garbage. Um, right. I have not, but I, I, I shut it for a while and I'm okay with that. And I, um, started reading Brene Brown. I started reading things about mental health, things about mm-hmm. trauma. And that was so nourishing for me. And I, um, journaled still, but it looked a lot different than prayer. I Mm -hmm. did some meditation. I did yoga. And so for me, yeah, it was, it was a shift of, um, what's going to be helpful for me on this journey. Now, somebody might think like, oh, well then she's just completely lost. And I'm like, no, actually like I feel more freedom than I ever had before because 
I'm not tied to, this is what I have to do. And I feel like it, if anything, my relationship with whatever God or divinity is, is way more authentic than it ever was before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's true awesome. because when we were growing up, I always felt like it was almost like a competition of like, this person's so on fire for God and they have their hand raised so high or they read their Bible all the time. Or I don't know, they're just so well-behaved. And in my head, I was just telling my friend, Caitlin, it almost seemed, well, first of all, it almost seemed like a competition, but then it almost seemed fake. Like how, like, why could I never attain that? Like, why was I always feeling like, oh, I wasn't on fire enough or I wasn't as good as them. Like, it shouldn't feel like that at all. Yeah. They always called it like the lukewarm Christian. Like, don't be a lukewarm Christian. At least they did at my church. (laughs) You have to be on fire for Jesus. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think there's this whole piece of, um, I mean, I, during COVID, I wrote a book that was my 20 years of my life from college to COVID, I call it. And it it was very evangelical and, and everything. And that was part of my deconstruction was looking at the end and everything wrapped up neatly with a bow. And I was like, wait a second. And, (laughs) and the thing is there were things in my life, like, you know, I was pretty open about all these things in my life, the good and the bad, but Mm -hmm. it was so well received with my evangelical friends and family, because the way that I perceived, like presented those things in the book was from a perspective of, but these were wrong. And, and, you know, now I, you know, I've been forgiven of this or that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say like a piece of that, that, um, was part of my deconstruction that I I don't even know if I brought up last time we talked. So maybe it's good. We re-recorded. Yeah. So I have a seven-year-old daughter and she has a genetic condition. That's very, very mild. Um, it doesn't, she presents as a very mild case. Mm -hmm. And when we were going through the process of diagnosing, it's called tuberous sclerosis. And so she has tubers on her brain. She has Mm -hmm. cysts on her kidneys. She has, um, all different specialists that she sees. Um, but at the end of the day, um, on the outside, she's a total, totally typical looking, acting child. And I had so many people in my life that were praying healing over her that wanted me to take her down to Bethel in California and oh. to have them pray because they're magically healing. I apparently oh, started with <laughs> Bethel, but, um, and then at the end they were like, what a miracle God has healed her and God has brought, you know, and that journey for me personally was hard. Cause you know, people didn't know what to say. Cause you're mm-hmm. trying to figure out like, why are, why, you know, why are these extra things happening to my child? I'm seeing like multiple specialists and it's, it's a lot, mm-hmm. but then I, I did not feel comfortable calling it a miracle to say, well, Hey, some kids with this condition yeah. have these struggles and she doesn't. And so we're going to say, God blessed her, but maybe not those kids. And I still am trying to figure out my thoughts on healing and miracles and all of those things. But I just knew that I had a lot of discomfort with that being a blessing or, or my journey being, or her journey being something that, okay, well, she was in God's favor for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I, I just, I could not do it. And so that was part of it too. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's, I, I totally agree. I, it always makes me feel uncomfortable. Like when people say like, oh, you're so blessed to get this. You're so blessed in your situation. And it's like, what does a blessing even like look like? Because somebody can also be an amazing Christian and be poor, homeless, sick, something. And it's like, does that mean that they're not blessed? Like, I don't know, just because of what like our society thinks like a blessing looks like. It's hard to for for that verbiage to go out, you know? 
Yeah, or even one of my friends just posted a picture of her in front of her new house. And she's like, I can't wait to see what God has next for us in our journey. And I was just, again, I was like, why doesn't this sit right with me? Like, it Mm -hmm. feels not real. Like, it feels fake. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, it's the prosperity gospel that says, if you believe, then you'll be wealthy. And if you believe, then you're going to have this white American Christianity that will this and that. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely a piece of all of it. Yeah, definitely. That's so interesting. That's so true. How people are like, oh, just be happy and it'll work out. It's like, but we can be sad. Like we're allowed to have emotions and feelings. I feel like at the church I grew up in, we weren't allowed to be sad unless it was like cry night at the summer camp where we like, yeah, at Hume Lake. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I've written and talked about toxic positivity before. Um, I am fiercely, uh, somebody that, that says, no, let's, let's have feelings. And part of that comes from, um, I was a teacher for 15 years. The pandemic broke me. I Mm -hmm. had, I just, um, I couldn't do it anymore. And I had people around me that said, you know, just show up for the kids and just, you know, and, and really tried to shame me into, um, you need to be this way and you need to feel this way because you need, the kids need you. And I was like, I'm crumbling. Like I was zooming with kids in the morning on the floor, sobbing in the afternoons. And it was like, and not knowing, you know, wanting out of this career, not knowing how, um, Mm -hmm. I think when you're a teacher, it's kind of often your career for life. Mm -hmm. And so, um, fine. I felt like I clawed my way out of that. Um, I, I work at a community college now I'm building a teaching program and I'm so pumped about it. I'm in a perfect fit job for me, but it took a long time to get there. And I had to feel those feelings fully. And I could not, I had, you know, I had coworkers that would wear a mask that had a smile printed on it. And I was (laughs) like, I can't get there. I, the, the talk around teachers right now is so painful and hurtful. And, and so I think, um, trying to mask your feelings and not feel them. And I know that's a little bit different than, um, I mean, that's career and, and it's different than church, but I would say I was deconstructing my identity altogether, my identity, my faith, my career, everything. And so it was, it was a lot for a little while. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's hard because especially at Biola, I never really heard people like talk about this in the church, like at the actual church, but at Biola, like everything was connected to Christianity. So like Christina was a business major, it was connected to Christianity. And I don't know if it was like that at your college too, but like they would include it during the, like the lessons, like I'd be learning about, you know, scaffolding of children and then they connect it to Christianity, you know, which, you know, was helpful at the time. But I think what's hard is like, everything seems to be connected to like, this is your calling. And that was the verbiage I never really heard before. Like, this is your calling, God's calling for you. And I think that when you have that in your mind, then all of a sudden you're expected to become like a vessel and not a person that Mm -hmm. experiences hardships. And, you know, if you want to leave, like, and maybe you feel like I need to leave, like, this is my life. Like, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, there goes the calling, (laughs) you know, like. Yeah. Yeah, And it's amazing how that's used as a tool for manipulation, Mm -hmm. even by accident. I would still, I'm still going to say manipulation. And I, I mentioned that I had gone to an Urbana conference. I, I was, it was between my sophomore and junior year of college. 
and I was a Spanish major at the time, but I, um, actually, no, I was, I was, a, I think I was an education major and mm-hmm. I switched to Spanish at the time because during that conference and it's a huge missions conference, I signed a pledge to become a short-term missionary for one to three years after college. And I was like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to switch my major to Spanish. I'm going to go become a missionary in a Spanish speaking country. Yeah. And that was my whole gig. And then when I graduated and it did not work out, mm-hmm. um, I felt like a failure as a Christian. Yeah. And I, I mean, and it was, and the, I have a story, um, called judgment about why it didn't work out on my blog. Um, it's, it has to do with a, a really, um, horrible therapist that told me that I was an alcoholic because I'd had a couple beers in my life <laughs> and, um, that I wasn't fit to be a missionary. And so I felt like a failure in all kinds of ways at yeah. that time, especially having a person in power, I would say a therapist over you saying things that were false. Mm-hmm. It took me years to recover from that. And I didn't even fully recover until I wrote through it when I wrote wow. my memoir, but, um, that whole idea of this is your calling. I mean, then I was a nanny. I was a substitute teacher. I was a waitress for a while. And I was like, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, eventually I, I ended up in bilingual education and it was the perfect fit for me, mm-hmm. but I wish I would have allowed myself to explore that earlier on so that I would have figured that out and not yeah. been so ashamed of what I thought was me failing to do what God wanted for me. When ultimately I feel like I ended up in the place I was supposed to be all along. Yeah. That's awesome. Something that came to my mind is um, how do you, what do you think about, my thing is, oh, I could be wrong. Like I'm always like, oh, I could be wrong. They could be right. But I'm, I'm always asking God, like, if I'm wrong, can you show me what's right? Um, And if they're right, can you help me see that? And I feel like that's something that more conservative Christians don't do. They're just like, well, this is right. But again, I'm like, oh, I'm probably wrong. Maybe they do that. (laughs) I don't understand how, how God, maybe you don't have an answer for this. How does God see these terrible things that these people that like claim to follow him? How does he see that and say, okay, like you're good. Come on into heaven. Like that makes no sense to me. Because I don't know, I'm always like, well, I don't know, like I could be wrong and I'm just trying to kind of be a good person and follow God at the same time. So why do these people not be good people and think, oh, but I'm doing Jesus's work. And maybe that just shows, I think, first of all, that shows like the manipulation, but also it shows kind of how Christianity is like, well, you have to go to heaven. Like it's all based on, well, you're scared of death. They're kind of preying on you that way. Yeah. I mean, that's the evangelical way, right? Like mm-hmm. let's, yeah. let's save lives for eternity. Um, but I would say this, I've, it's been hard, but I've let go of certainty altogether. Mm-hmm. Right. And so certainty is easy. It's so easy to be just told yeah. this is right. This is what you should believe. And then just be like, okay, th- well, that's right. That's the truth. And that's capital T truth. Mm-hmm. And no, I've let go of that. And so I always say, this is journey that I'm traveling on. I, I, you know, how do we know it's true? I mean, there's, I was, um, interviewing somebody for my own podcast. Um, and she was saying, Judy Peterson, and we just released an episode yesterday um, on the year after podcast. So check it out. But, um, she was saying, you know, she believes in the resurrection, but she doesn't know if it's true, but she believes it is, you Mm -hmm. know? And so I think it's that piece of 
you know, what you believe, but knowing, and that's why I'm able to share space with atheists and agnostic, yeah. because at the end of the day, I'm like, you know, this is what I believe, but I don't know if it's true. Yeah. And it drives people wild. I think trying to have a conversation with me, cause they're trying to push no, like, how could you yeah. possibly say that you don't know if, you know, the resurrection happened or if you believe in hell or, or if you believe in heaven or eternity, all of these things. Um, and I'm, you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, how do you, how can you say that you do know, you yeah. know? And so, um, I've let go of certainty and it's, it's a struggle to live in the gray. Cause mm -hmm. it's, you know, I I'm an Enneagram one. If you know about that, it, you really do. <laughs> want, yeah. yeah. Right. And wrong. And you're like, just tell me what's right. And, and I'll do it. And mm -hmm. one other thing I'll say the pushback I listen to the most, like, cause I, I will say things and people will push back. And the pushback I listen to the most are, um, I, I recognize my privilege being a white cis woman, you know? And so anytime somebody from a marginalized community comes back and says something to me, I will listen all day, every day, you know, and I will take that in with curiosity because I want to make sure that I spend time doing the work of mm -hmm. dismantling my own power and privilege in this space. And so there's people that push, push back on the word progressive because there are progressives that perpetuate racism yeah. in a different way. And I look at that and I, I want to understand that more and I want to grow. Um, I know one time I tweeted out, I wonder how many pastors are closeted affirming and started to like get traction and go viral. And somebody from the queer community came back and they were like, this is really offensive because you're appropriating the word closeted to mean something else. And that term to me is something that is mine for this particular purpose. And I sat with that and I listened and um, a couple of people were like, delete this. And I, you know, I asked, like, I was like, I will, if, if you think, you know, if you want me to, but I, you know, other, or I can share what I've learned from it and yeah. hopefully other people will learn from it. And they did, you know? And so they, yeah. Yeah. So in the end we left it up and I was like, this is what I've learned. I can't appropriate this term. And, and so, yeah, I, it is a growing journey and I'm not going to claim that I'm right all the time. Yeah. There's definitely things that I have to learn. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing Megan. Yeah. Awesome. I really like learning about um, your process. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's a good opportunity. I know that all of my friends from Biola, none of them go to church and all of them seem to kind of be in the same headspace. So I think it'll be a great opportunity for our listeners to learn about deconstruction and maybe they're already doing it and they don't even know. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Can you tell everybody, I know you already said your handle, but maybe where to follow you and tell them about your podcast. Yeah. So I recently became the co-host season two of the there after podcast with Yay. my good friend, Cortland coffee. Um, check it out. The first episode, um, Judy Peterson, man, her story is amazing. So, um, check her out. She used to be a campus pastor at North park years ago. Um, not even that many years ago, a few years ago mm -hmm. and, um, got let go for officiating a gay wedding. So, um, her story is very powerful, but yeah, so you can find me the pursuinglife.com is my blog. I'm on Facebook ish at the pursuing life, but Instagram and Twitter, and then check out clubhouse or Twitter spaces. Cause those are some audio conversations that we have that, um, are super fun and interesting and fascinating. So check that out too. How exciting. Thank you, cool. Megan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Okay, guys, this is great having Megan on. Thank you guys for tuning in again.
Yeah, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Please follow us on Instagram at Unladylike Podcast and be sure to follow Megan at the Pursuing at the Pursuing Life. Bye guys.